0: You're listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast. This week, we bring you a three-part series of messages entitled "Ruth and Boaz: A Love Story" that Jay Vernon McGee presented at Founders Week 1982. Then we'll close the week with a two-part message on Job, God's example from Founders Week 1980. Jay Vernon McGee was a pastor, Bible teacher, theologian, and speaker on the Through the Bible radio program. Now here is Jay Vernon McGee on Today in the Word radio. You applaud before the sermon because you won't be able to afterward. Uh, (laughs) mm, mm, mm. Dr. Rodmacher suggested the rapture might come while he was preaching and he and I would go up together. I want to say that we're still here, (laughs) Uh, and I'm, I'm leaving for Florida. Uh, just soon as this message is over, and that's where the launching pad is, down there. <laughs> and I'll be taking off from down there, and I hope he makes it up here. <laughs> <laughs> May I say that last night I think I heard one of the greatest sermons— the most timely message that I've heard in years given by Dr. Bruce Dunn. I believe that that is a sermon that I wish that every man in public office today in this country could hear. It was a great message, and it certainly blessed my heart, and I'm sure it blessed the hearts of many of you. Now, I preached Sunday or Monday night on Job, and it was a truncated message. I didn't finish it, and I didn't preach it as a sermon. It didn't have actually an application at all. You're supposed to have a sermon that comes in on the upbeat, uh, where uh, there is some uh, light at the end of the tunnel. And there was not. We saw this man Joe put through the the ringer and really twisted. But this man did win the first round. Uh, he could uh, s- say, though he slay me yet, will I trust him? Uh, he could uh, say that. Blessed be the name of the Lord, because the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. But the sermon didn't end with they lived happily ever after. And the reason we concluded like that is because we are actually not through with Job, and Satan's not through with Job. And we're going to see that he's going through the ringer again. In other words, the hard things are ahead of him. And I'm very happy they didn't have TV in his day, because he might have heard on TV something good is going to happen to you. <laughs> and believe me, something good did not happen to Joe. Now, will you notice chapter 2 of the book of Job? And I think this morning, to save a little time, I'll comment as we read today. Chapter 2, verse 1, and now we are back at uh, scene 2. That is, we saw scene 1, Job living down here on the earth, an affluent society enjoying all the luxuries and the blessings of this life, and then all of that was taken away from him. I don't think Job ever did know what was in the background, but we found out when the scene shifted to heaven that God and Satan were interested in Job, and that Satan very terribly, blasphemously charged. He says, Does Job serve you for nothing? You're paying him to serve you. He's a paid lover. And I concluded by asking that impudent question of you, Are we paid lovers today of God? And now the test Really begins. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. He has to turn in his report. He's a creature, a creature of tremendous power, and I believe the, probably the greatest creature that God's ever created. Was Lucifer, son of the morning, who became Satan? None greater, but he's still a creature, and he has to report to God. Uh, things are bad in this world today, and that was a gripping message that Dr. Breeze pre- presented to us the, the power that uh, he exerts in the world tremendous power, ruling this world today. But nevertheless, he he is a creature. Uh, Emerson is wrong. Emerson said things are in the saddle, and they ride mankind. Uh, They're not in the saddle. God's in the saddle. As the universe hasn't slipped out from under his control, he's not sitting on the edge of his throne this morning, biting his fingernails, wondering what to do next. He knows what he's going to do next. I don't, but he does. And those, that preacher that Dr. Rodmarker referred to in Southern California that said today, I'm not that preacher, by the way. I... <laughs> When he said that, he looked back at me, and, I, and I'm not that, that preacher. I really don't know what God's going to do. I, it, he hasn't let me in on it. we got several out there that know, though. But, uh, uh, but after all, that's the land of flowers, fruits, and nuts. <laughs> And most of them are religious nuts, too. (laughs) And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And here he goes again, same old report. And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. He has a lot of freedom in this world, tremendous freedom. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered, my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him, to destroy him without cause. Hold on to that word integrity, it is coming up again. I think it is the key word now in the test of Job. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath, will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now, touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And you know, a man can lose everything, and still if he has his health. He can say, I'll start over again. Uh, I know that when I was a boy, we lived in West Texas. My dad was an engineer for the Murray Gin Company out of Dallas, and he built cotton gins. We went from place to place. But when we left there, it was the end of a three-year drought, and we had nothing. And I never shall forget, I was about a 10-year-old boy. I heard my mother say, well, we have our health. Well, that's something. Now Job's going to lose his health. And I want to say to you, Satan's moving in on him now. He's closing in on the man. And, but put forth thine hand now. Touch him physically. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he's in thine hand, but save his life. He can't take him his life. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord, and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. Now, there's all kinds of speculation as to what those boils really were. Since I've had cancer, you won't mind me saying that I believe it was cancer that he had. And he took him a potsherd to scrape himself withal, and he sat down among the ashes. Now our scene is shifting. He's lost everything, his home, his property, his possessions, his family. And he's now moved out to the dump heap of the town. That's where he is. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity, curse God, and die?" Now you know why Satan didn't take his wife. Uh, (laughs) I know several very crude jokes about uh, the wife of Job, but I don't think I'm going to tell them but uh, she wasn't any help to him, you can be sure of that. I think she was the one that began women's lib, to tell the truth. Uh, she certainly no help to her husband. You know how it all began. Adam's rib, Satan's fib, and women's lib. And so here... He says to him, Why don't you curse God and die? Why are you retaining your integrity? Now, here is where we would like to stop for just a minute or two. It is on this word, integrity. I believe that is the key to it. I think that is the key to you and to me today. What Satan would like to do for all of us is to break down our integrity. And if he can do that, he's wrecked you. He's ruined your life. Many Christians' testimony has been ruined because Satan was able to destroy his integrity. What is integrity? Let me look at that for just a moment. The Hebrew word is tamar, and they tell me that it means the state of being complete. Actually, it means simplicity, uncomplicated. It means uh, to live a, a simple life. The problem with most of us today, we are living in a computer and complex age, and we going off in every direction. We are like the cowboy that mounted his horse in the western, and he rode off in every direction. Uh, we are going off today in, in every, every direction. Integrity is, I think, that which David had. David said, One thing I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. My friend, when you can whittle life down to that kind of a point, you got it made. The trouble with so many folk today, and a lot of Christians, they want to do this, they want to do that, and they're going to do the other thing, and they end up doing nothing. They actually lose their integrity. Paul, says, one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth under those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He got his life whittled down to a fine point. By the way, which direction are you going this morning? Uh, I used to teach at the Bible Institute, Los Angeles, first-year student, think I'm going to be a missionary, think I'm going to be a pastor, think I'm going to do this, think I'll go to this field, think I'll go to that field. They go through school like that, and I can point you to businessmen all over California That were those students. They never did go anywhere, because they were going everywhere. And when you're going everywhere, you're not going anywhere. And that was the problem. Uh, Right now, on radio, we're seeing the conversion of many of the old hippies, the flower children of Hyde Asbury in San Francisco, those beautiful children that were on dope. You know, they had it made. That was a tremendous thing Dr. Dunn mentioned last night, that we're being destroyed from within our young people with dope. And these old hippies back in those days, everybody thought they were the flower children. You went to San Francisco and you went up and down Hyde-Asbury Street and looked at them. Well, they weren't going anywhere. But today, they're getting back in the mainstream. And I suppose that in the past six months we've had a dozen letters of those that are converted, and here is an expression that every one of them has used. I want to put it all together. And boy, when they said that, they said everything. They want to put it all together. Well, believe me, that has been going every direction. It's stuck out every direction. Now, like a sack of doorknobs is the way they look. May I say to you now, they're pointed in one direction. They know which way they're going. And that is the great problem today because it gives direction. And a goal for living is to have your integrity. And if you get that destroyed, you're destroyed. I think the poet had that in mind when he put it like this. Into this universe and why not knowing, Nor whence like water willy-nilly flowing, And out of it as wind along the waste, I know not whither, willy-nilly blowing. That's the life of so many young people today. One of the members of my board was saying at the board meeting the other night during the holidays that his uh, son and daughter had friends for the Christmas holidays. He said, I overheard their conversation. He said, you know, I feel sorry for these kids today. He said, they just didn't know where they were going. They didn't know where they were going. No direction at all. And that is the thing that Shakespeare caught. I think this is the most beautiful picture given of an ugly situation. Listen to this. Macbeth, when he went to the bottom, said this, Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player, that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It's a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Is that your life today? God have mercy today on a young person today that's reached that sad, terrible stage. And right now, suicides especially among college students is in the epidemic stage there's a number in southern california you can call if you're contemplating suicide as a young fellow said to me he says you give me a reason why I should live well may i say to you it had no purpose no goal nothing and so Job, through all of this, he has maintained his integrity. And now Satan is going to throw everything that he's got at him. He's going for the jugular vein now. He's going to try to destroy him. And he uses a very subtle method. And that is this. First of all, He loses the companionship, the compassion, and I think the love of his wife. Now, when a man loses everything out yonder in the world and he can retreat into a home where he is understood and loved, there's still hope for him, but Job had no place to go. He's lost that. Now, the next step. Is this. Three of the friends of Job hear about him. Uh, these men, I think, lived at a distance. They met and they came, and when they got there, Job's condition was worse than they had heard it was. And for seven days, they sat down with him and mourned with him. Now, very candidly, uh, I have to call them friends. Uh, How many people do you know that if you got in trouble like this, that would come and sit with you like this for seven days? I doubt whether we'd have very many that would, our relatives would, I'm sure, but how many friends do you have that would do that? Uh, I have to say these are friends of Job, but they're going to be used in a very, I think, a very subtle way and they're going to actually they're going to try to destroy Job and Satan will use them for that now they became his worst enemies why will you listen to this very carefully number 1 they did not know Job i went out of the council in business myself as a pastor even before I retired from the Church. I found out I, I was no counselor. That was part of the problem. I d- did not know the individual. Uh, it's, it's hard to advise somebody else. And we are having too much of this imitation today, as we shall see in just a moment. The second thing is they did not know God. They oh their their statement concerning God as the Creator, it is tremendous, beautiful. This is poetry from your own. It's absolutely beautiful. But they did not know anything about the mercy and the grace and the love of God, and that God forgave sinners. Because you see, in that day, the heathen gods—have you ever seen pictures of them? Did you ever see a pretty one? Not a—they're horrible. And so it says, well, they offered sacrifices to them—they sure did—to keep them off their back, they didn't offer sacrifice to forgive sin. And uh, they didn't know God was so wonderful. They just knew he was the creator. And then they did not know themselves. And my feeling is that was my problem, too. I could always try to put myself in the position of the man you're trying to. But really, do you know yourself? Socrates said, Gennos emu, know myself. That's the big thing. And he says, I'm the smartest man in Athens. He says, the reason I'm the smartest man in Athens is because they asked him that. They thought he was bragging. He says, everybody in Athens thinks they know something. I know I don't. I'm the smartest man. And that, by the way, is our problem in Christian circles today. Uh, You heard about the difference between the psychotic and the neurotic. The psychotic is the the fellow that thinks 2 plus 2 equals 5. The neurotic, he knows that 2 plus 2 equals 4, but he worries about it. We have all these hang ups today, and now will you look at these friends as they come to Job? And uh, I want you to see something here that I think is one of the most wonderful things. These three friends represent three positions. Now, I can't go into a great deal of detail uh, with any one of them. I could stay the rest of the week and we could just go through the book of Job and look at it, but we, we can't do that. And uh, so let me just say a word about each one of these friends and probably where he f- fell upon his face. Now, what happened, these friends for seven days sat with Job. They saw his condition, his plight was lots worse than they thought. And, uh, Then they began to do something. I'm sure they did. It doesn't say it, but I'm sure they did because of what they said later. I'm sure they began to shake their head. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-huh, you've been holding out on us. We thought you were really somebody. We thought you were great. Say, what was it you were doing? Because God is punishing you. He has to be punishing you. And that's the reason this has happened to you. So why don't you tell us what it is? Why don't you let us in on it? They just shook their yeah. head. They didn't say that. They just shook their head. And that Job finally, it, he couldn't stand it any longer. In chapter 3, after this, opened Job his mouth and cursed his day. And He spent one chapter, and it's beautiful language, but actually what he's saying is, I wish I hadn't been born. And that's one thing that you can spend your time doing, but that's about the biggest waste of time there is, because you're already here, and there's no use saying, I wish I hadn't been born. And that's what he says. Then these friends close in on him, And we have an encounter here. Actually, in that day, this was a contest with Job against his three friends. And a crowd began to assemble when they started in. You see, in that day, they were uncivilized. They were not sophisticated like we are today. And and all they had was just an intellectual contest. Now, today, we've come a long ways, baby, let me tell you. We built a great big stadium and put 100,000 people there in the Rose Bowl, and we just yell our heads off watching 22 men button their heads together. <laughs> May I say to you, we call that intellectual. May I say to you, I know you don't laugh at it because it hurts, doesn't it? I don't—how many of us would have hung around and listened to Job and his friends? May I say to you, that crowd eagerly—and I think they applauded as they went along, because Job really wins the day. Eliphaz uh, is the first one. And Eliphaz, the Temanite, uh, he had an experience, and I want to tell you when you've got an experience today, you can get on several TV programs. (laughs) Uh, I was approached by two television programs, and they said, we'd like for you to come, Dr. McGee, and give us your experience. Well, I haven't any experience. And what is good is my experience for you. May I say to you? This man, Eliphaz, he had an experience, and, friends, he had an experience. Will you listen to it? This is really really something. I'm turning to chapter 4, verse 12. He says, Now a thing was secretly brought to me, and mine ear received a little thereof. Say, this is really secret stuff we're getting. You know, this is something that's in top drawer uh, secret that we're going to get. Uh, Somebody said that some people believe anything if you whisper it to them, Uh, you know. And you can't believe all you hear today, but you can repeat it. And, And this thing, he says, was secretly brought to me. And mine ear received a little of it. Oh, he didn't get it all, but he's got enough to tell you about it. In thoughts from the visions of the night, it took place at night. Uh, visions come at night. They, they don't work in the daytime. In thoughts from the visions of the night when deep sleep falleth on man. It was after midnight. And will you notice? Fear came upon me and trembling, which made all my bones to shake. This is this is gonna be something. This man's had an experience. Will you notice this? Then a spirit passed before my face. Ooh. Yeah. Somebody turn on the lights. Listen, I get in the dark here. The hair of my flesh stood up. It stood still, but I could not discern the form thereof. He didn't didn't quite see it. An image was before mine eyes. There was silence, and I heard a voice saying, Now, will you listen to this? We are going to get something here that's going to be great. Will you listen to this? Shall mortal man be more just than God? Shall a man be more pure than his Maker? And I'll be honest with you, that's a great letdown for me, because I already knew that even before I ever read it. Didn't you know that? That that mortal man is not more just than God. And why do you have to lose a night's sleep, you know? (laughs) Uh, in order to get that kind of information. But that's what, that's what we have here. Now, you may think we don't, still don't have those things going on today. I, I got one just the other day from a lady, and uh, they seem to have more than the men nowadays. Will you, will you listen to this? During Christmas season, I was in my house in Bellevue all alone, except for my two poodles. And uh, I believe believe as Dr. Brace says you have to have two witnesses. She's got two poodles. She said, I tried to sing and make myself happy. One song I would sing went like this. I'll be home for Christmas. Then I would start to cry and sob. My cries were heard. And our Heavenly Father brought me home, soul and spirit, for a three-day period. My body lay peacefully sleeping in Bellevue, while my soul and spirit spent a joyous three days in the throne room of our Heavenly Father. The Lord was there as well. Christmas Day, our Heavenly Parents took us on a tour of our palace in the New Jerusalem and showed us our Christmas gift from them. It was a large chest of drawers placed in the Lord's in my bedroom in the palace which we will occupy. And I say to you—that's Bellevue, Washington. In Seattle, Washington, you can buy a chest of drawers. You don't have to be caught up there. To get one in heaven, and if you got one in heaven, you can't bring it back to earth. And so she did come back, and she doesn't have a chest of drawers. Why in the world didn't she go down and get one in Seattle and be done with it? But you see, uh, we've had a we've had a vision. Uh, we've uh, we've had something that nobody else has had. We've had an experience. Well, my friend. Your experience won't help me and my experience won't help you because, you see, you and I are different. Uh, That little finger, long as that little finger is one that when you make it, nobody in this universe today or ever has been can make it just like you can. And, my friend, your experience is going to be different. And God does not lead us today by experience he leads us by revelation. There is nothing that will take your mind and heart off of the word of God like experience, and we don't need that. Now, I've emphasized Eliphaz, but I'm going to just hit the high points And these other two boys here that are supposed to be the friends of Job. I probably ought to say just a word about the answer that uh, Job gave to them, and uh, he, says, he says to them, and uh, I'll, I didn't intend to pick this out, but I'm going to now, verse 15 of chapter 6, he says, My brethren have dealt deceitfully as a brook, and as the stream of brooks they pass by. And what he said is this, My brethren have dealt deceitfully as a brook. What he means is a mirage. He said, When I saw these three brethren coming, I thought, Here comes help. Here comes someone that's going to help me. But it was just a mirage on the desert. That's all in the world these three friends were. Just a mirage to, to them. Now we come to Bildad. Bildad is a traditionalist. He's the boy that always goes back to the past. And we have a lot of people that rest upon that, of course. And that's the danger today of a great many of us today that are fundamental. Is our fundamentalism really Bible, or is it really tradition? It might be well for you to, to look into that, because uh, why is it you do certain things or don't do certain Is it a tradition, or is it because the Word of God condemns that? I know a great many people. They say, I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't do the other thing. And when I was pastor, I found out that they don't go to prayer meeting either on Wednesday night. There's a lot of things they don't do. But uh, our tradition is dangerous. Any way you look at it, I think. And In chapter 8, we find Bildad saying this, just to lift out this, For inquire, I pray thee, of the former age, and prepare thyself to the search of their fathers. Now, a traditionalist is not one that just normally speaks of the good old days. We are living in a more sophisticated age today, and actually, the environmentalist today is a traditionalist. He wants to go back as it was. And I'll be very frank with you. I have a friend that he goes in for this in California. And I said, sure, I wish we could get rid of all these condominiums. And I, when I came to California from Texas in 1940, I wish they'd closed the gate and kept out all the rest of the Texans and the people from Iowa and everybody else that came out our way. I just wish they hadn't come to California. But they did, and they got to have a place to live, and you got to build these condominiums. I don't care if you are an environmentalist. And I know she would not like this, but Jane Fonda is a traditionalist. She's an old timer. She doesn't realize it, but she is. We we have to have atomic energy today. There's no way out. And I I was thrilled to hear Doctor Teller on TV, the educational station, the other night, and they interviewed him. He's the man that developed the hydrogen bomb. Probably knows more about the atom today than any man living. And uh, he said. Uh, this. now I'm quoting him. Uh, he said uh, there were fewer people died at Three Mile Island than they did at Chappaquiddick. The uh, fact of the matter is nobody died at Three Mile Island. And he said to tell the truth, he says nothing can really happen there. He says Three Mile Island is built better than Jane Fonda is. That was old Dr. Teller that said that. And when he said it, my friend, you better sit up and listen to him. Traditionalist. Now, this man throws that at Job. And the whole thought is, Job, you have attempted to break with the past, and you can't do that. And Job's now tired and weary of these fellows. In chapter 9, he answers him, Then Job answered and said, I know it is so of a truth, but how should a man be just with God? Now he's saying now, after two of them have spoken, he says, you have not dealt with my problem. I want to be just with God. And he cries out here, he's not a man as I am, that I should answer him, and we should come together in judgment. Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. This is Job's heart cry for Christ. He says, Oh, if there was somebody that would put his hand in the hand of God, and then somebody that would put his other hand in my hand and bring us together, I need a mediator. After he's been not deluged by his third brother, he's ready to talk. And Zopher's a legalist, and believe me, he is hard-boiled. Any legalist is a hard-boiled fellow, and I don't care who he is in religion. And that's the reason today that I very personally think that we're building up too many rules today. And all of these seminars are for rules and regulations. My friend Dr. Rodmar in such a wonderful way, we have been given the Holy Spirit. And if Vernon McGee's gonna do anything, he has to do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I today don't need to seek a baptism. Oh, I need a filling of the Holy Spirit. That's what we need. How desperately we need it today. All these legalists. And he's rude and insulting to Job. In chapter 11, Zophar says, Should not the multitudes of words be answered, and should a man full of talk be justified? Should thy lies make men hold their peace? He calls Job a liar. And when thou mockest, shall no man make thee ashamed? For thou hast said, My doctrine is pure, and I am clean in thine eyes. But, oh, that God would speak and open his lips against thee. Well, certainly Zophar not speaking for him. And that he would show thee the secrets of wisdom. And then he makes a, a very wise statement. Canst thou by searching find out God? And certainly he hadn't found out God by searching, and neither could Job. He calls Job a liar, and he calls him a hypocrite. You've been holding back on us. You have not told the truth. Now you have another round of these men, and I'm not going to go into that at all. Job, through it all, he maintains his integrity. He insists, and they put him in a bad position. He has to defend himself. And in defending himself, he practically says he's a perfect man. And uh, in Job 29, and I'm not going to turn to it, but in that chapter, the first personal pronoun, I, is used 52 times in 25 verses. And uh, in other words, Job had a bad case of perpendicular aedus. I tell you, it stood high. And he's been forced into defending himself. I had a letter the other day from a listener that said the wisest thing I've heard in a long time. He says, "Dr. McGee, I do not have problems. I am the problem." That's the thing today, people say, oh, I've got problems, my friend. I don't know about you, but I'm the problem. I'm the problem. Job, in defending himself, has put God in a wrong position. And now Elihu breaks in, a young man that was standing in the crowd. And actually what he's really saying, he says, why don't you repent, Job? And then there 's a storm coming up, and as that storm has been gathering all the time, it now begins to break upon the crowd. They begin to scatter, and they leave, and Job now is left alone and Now God breaks through, and God breaks through, and there are those that think that that God is speaking to Elihu. I don't think so. I think he's speaking to Job now when he says, Who is this that darknet counsel by words without knowledge? In other words, Job, you have maintained your integrity, but you don't know what you're talking about. And then God begins with him as the creator. God says, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? And now God moves in on this man and he begins to talk to him about his person. And now let me be very short now and draw this to a conclusion. God now asks Job these questions that he cannot answer. And Job now says, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. But now mine eye seeth thee, wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Now God has brought this man, the best man, even God says he's the best man on the earth, and he brings this man to the place where he can say, Now I, I abhor myself. Now God can do something wonderful with him. Now psychology today, and I understand it's changing, but has been trying to build man up. We have a psychologist out on the west coast, and uh, he uh, he says that what you ought to do every morning when you get up is go and look in the mirror and say, "I love you." And when I, I hadn't heard that before, so I got up one morning and went and looked in the mirror and tried that. Now, I want to say to you, that doesn't work, uh, 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 because uh, I said to that fellow in the mirror, I said, I know you. Uh, if I tell you I love you, I'm lying, because you've disappointed me too many times. You've disappointed me too many times. You're not the man I wanted you to be. And therefore, I'm happy I can begin not with looking in the mirror, but I thank God today that I can come to the Lord Jesus, and I'll have to come as a sinner. I abhor myself. I repent in dust and ashes, and now— I cannot look in the mirror and say, I love you, but I can look at the Lord Jesus and say to him, I love you. I love you. You died for me. I love you. And now we can say this. And this is actually the end of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is just a parenthesis until you get to the end. And he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, forasmuch as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Sure, Vernon McGee's nothing. Sure, I abhor myself. But you think well of yourself. But I, I'm not a child of the King. I, I now am a son of God through faith in Christ. That's the only way I got there. Through faith in Christ, I became a son of God. And now I can hold my head high. I'm a child of God. Just during the Middle Ages, Muridus. An outstanding Christian scholar was crossing France, and uh, he fell sick and uh, was unconscious. And they took him to a hospital in that day, and the uh, doctors of that day uh, were working over him when he came to, and he heard them say, in Latin, they said, uh, "Let's perform." An operation on this fella an experiment with him, for he's a worthless creature. And Muritas said in Latin to them, He says, "Will you call one worthless for whom Christ died?" That's what gives value today to man. That's what gives you integrity to live today in what's happening out in a world that's gone mad right now. We're going to need our integrity, friends, in the days that lie ahead. I hope that you and I will not lose our integrity. You've been listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast, and one of two messages J. Vernon McGee presented on Job, God's Example, at Founders Week 1980. J. Vernon McGee was a pastor, Bible teacher, theologian, and speaker on the Through the Bible radio program. Audio copies of this and many other messages from the podcast are available at moodyaudio.com. Today in the Word radio is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of the Moody Bible Institute.